Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with Derek Stubbs, ICS Cybersecurity Consultant at NTT Security. Derek, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good, thanks. Good. Sorry I stumbled on that title there. I was telling Derek, this is a little bit out of my realm, so it's like speaking a new language with all this fancy acronyms and cybersecurity this and that. But, <laughs> you know, again, I'm, I'm interested in when you reached out to me, I was actually pretty interested in having you come on the show. It's not something I normally have. It's more, you know, geared towards, you know, whether it's operations, you know, startups, different technical things within oil and gas. But, you know, I felt like it was important to highlight and talk about cybersecurity just because we're leaning so far into the world where everything nowadays is going cloud-based along with just the overall internet of things. So security around this is extremely important. And I don't think and me personally, I just don't know if not a lot of people are, have enough awareness to really, you know, what to look out for and what kind of things are happening behind the scenes to really protect their assets and, and everything that they're, they're putting on the Internet. Because now nothing's on paper. And so, you know, in theory, it's out there for the world to be able to somehow hack into and hopefully not. But it's people like yourself that are leading the way and making sure none of that stuff happens. So again, I'm glad to have you on the show. But before we get going here, I just want to take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated. Good or bad, it doesn't matter. Also, if you feel like you have a great story or an idea for a show, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always on there willing to chat and meet up with different folks. I actually met a gentleman, I won't say his name today, but just a great guy. Hit me up on LinkedIn. And, you know, like a lot of us out there, we've had challenges with just the downturn and the volatility in the market and he's looking for a job. He got laid off. And at the end of the day, he's doing the right things. You know, he got laid off. And as soon as he did that, he's been active on LinkedIn. He's going to all the lunch and learns. He's getting connected with people otherwise that he probably wouldn't have done. So anyone out there that's in a similar position, I encourage you just to you know, put your ego aside and go on, on LinkedIn or any platform and just network as much as you can because that's what's going to really help you pave the way to, to gaining these opportunities instead of sitting behind the computer and uploading your resume on Monster and RigZone. I don't know if those are the ones that still exist, but either way, just networking and getting in front of people, shaking hands, having coffee and having genuine conversation around different subjects is extremely important. So again, if you're listening, a big shout out to you, bud. I hope everything's going well. So anyways, Derek, let's get going here. Tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved with Oilfield Cybersecurity. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Before I jump into that, just appreciate the show and this this platform. I think it's really important to have these candid conversations. Doesn't happen enough in oil and gas. So you know, I'm really hoping I can provide a connective tissue between something as, like you say, abstract and foreign as cybersecurity within the oil and gas space yeah. and operations. So Yeah, no, again, extremely important. I think it's something that we don't talk about enough and I really appreciate you reaching out. So yeah, let's hear it, man. Tell me yeah, about yourself. Yeah, so so I have a very kind of untraditional path into oil and gas. So I got a little bit of lineage in oil and gas. My grandfather was a pipeliner. Okay. Uh, worked for the same company his entire career, you know. Nice. The kind of jobs that don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. My dad is a genius 
within the oil and gas space, has had several companies. Wow. Uh, he did lighting systems for drilling rigs. That's kind of what I grew up with. Ah, okay. Uh, so where did you ever go out to the rigs? Or oh, yeah, just man. From... I, as a kid, I remember, you know, running around the rig floor, helping him out, you know, Good. again, stuff you would never see today, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved around a lot. So, Good you know, definitely saw the volatility yeah. that comes from oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And, and for that reason, I grew up saying I would never work in oil and gas. Man, I, <laughs> I think I wanted, that's most of us. I wanted to do something different. And so, yeah, the story of how, how that, how serendipity kind of takes over sometimes when I was getting out of high school, had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a for sure, 100% idiot. Um, <laughs> I got my girlfriend at the time pregnant. Okay. So now I got no skills, I'm mowing lawns. I got this baby on the way. I'm like feeling completely overwhelmed. And this guy moves next door to my parents. And it's like this single dude. He drives a motorcycle. He actually has a tiger. <laughs> kind of tells you a little something about the name of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's got a pet tiger. Just where was as, where was this? Where are you living? Yeah, at? yeah, it's kind of in Sugarland. In Sugarland. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Crazy. I'm inspired. Crazy I want a tiger. <laughs> but to my 17-year-old self, I looked at that dude and said, "Man, this guy's awesome." Yeah, that's I who I want to be. <laughs> whatever whatever he's doing. Yeah. And uh, I was mowing his lawn, so I asked him one day, I was like, "What do you do for a living?" And all he said was computers. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and so that you were 17, yeah, uh, this is like 99. Nine, okay. So pr- I mean, computers really back then weren't a big thing. Not very many people had them. Yeah, or at least internet I don't think revolution they did. was kind of just starting, you know. But at the time, IT jobs were a new thing, and they were high paying. They were really, I bet, you know, a really cush deal if you got IT jobs back in that time. Okay. So so immediately right out of high school. On this guy's advice, I go to like just technical school to get a certification. Good for you. So I get myself like $15,000 in debt, come out of technical school, broker than I was, and in a world that has drastically changed. So this was about 2000, <laughs> you know, late 2000s, 2001. Yeah. Dot-com bubble had burst. Mm-hmm. In Houston, like Enron was going under. <laughs> you know, there was a recession going on at the time. Long story short, nobody was hiring oh. entry-level IT people. Right. So... I kind of just by necessity had to go back to what I knew, and that was oil and gas. Yeah, and yeah. The, you know this is just where you, you can't plan this stuff. At that time, it was actually when oil and gas was going through a little bit of a digital revolution of their own. Mm-hmm. So I, I I was working at a fab shop, just doing shop floor stuff, pipe bins, tack welds, helping out with panels and instrumentation, and I, I was kind of where, everywhere I could trying to apply this IT knowledge. You know, just in any niche I could find. Good for you. And there was a lack unit that came in for Shell that was going to Kazakhstan. Mm. And this was right around the whole, you know, Afghan-Iraq confrontations. And a bunch of people dropped off that job when they heard the Stan in the name. Mm-hmm. So that opened the door for, for me to be part of this commissioning team. Yeah. And yeah, just to fast forward this story, having that skill set of knowing process, knowing instrumentation, and IT, it opened up doors for me that I, you know, I never would have been able to open kind of on my own. Sure. And wow. you know, that, that kind of led to a consultantship that, you know, really took up the next five years all over the world. You know, I worked in the Middle East, Africa. Wow. Um, yeah. And just in a lot of different kind of types of installations and, you know, offshore, onshore. Okay. Um, terminals, you know, that kind of thing. Where was your favorite spot that you landed at? I mean, let's say, uh, the, <laughs> that's the thing about some of the oil and gas opportunities. A lot of them are in you know, places you don't necessarily go on the on the tourist map. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, Kazakhstan was great. Kazakhstan was kind of coming out from, you know, 
many years of Soviet rule. Okay. And when I was there, it was kind of a renaissance of their culture mm -hmm. and their language was coming back. Just a bunch of you know, really unique things with a very unique place and an interesting geography. Yeah. And, you know, all their oil and gas infrastructure was Soviet, you know, right. 70s infrastructure. Yeah. So just tons of opportunities for, you know, upgrades and modernizations. Wow. And the, the field I was working at, shout out to Edgar Fulmer, who was kind of the shell company man for okay. that field. You know, they were really trying to do some modern stuff. Nice. And uh, they were tying into a, they called the Cause Transoil Pipeline. And, you know, there was no infrastructure to send like SCADA information. Okay. You know, to tie into this pipeline, pressures, temperatures, flow rates. So we just really got to, on a blank canvas, innovate how we did that. Yeah. Yeah. And a small team of people, you know, accomplished a lot of things. Was so. it, so in meanwhile, you have a kid at home, right? Meanwhile, I have a kid at home. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I got to give 100% credit to my wife. You know, she, she was on top of that, handling that like a champ. Wow. Uh, that must and, have been challenging, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. I grew a lot during that time. So I bet. Was, I bet. Because important. A lot of people within oil and gas, including myself, I can't put myself in your shoes, but with having a child, I mean, I've got two of my own, but th we had them after, you know, working in the field and mm -hmm. being gone for several times. So the sacrifice for a lot of folks out there, both men and women nowadays, leaving their families and doing these things to, to gain experience. It sucks when you're in the trenches, but coming out on the other end, I mean, it's just like it pays off in dividends. So, uh, yeah. yeah, just, just staying committed because you could have easily been like, you know, screw this. I'm just going to stay at home and, and, you know, work a job, but be home every night. And so, yeah, a shout out to you for being able to take that sacrifice and go and do it. And because now, I mean, you were telling me just a bit ago, it sounds like you're Amer living the American dream, working from home <laughs> and, and doing everything that, you know, most, you know, entrepreneurs are trying to do. So again, if, if it wasn't for that, doing that, I'm sure you wouldn't be here today. So, yeah. And no, it was driven, cool. thank you for that. And it was driven totally out of necessity. Yeah. You know, just out of a money grab, out of a hustle. Yeah. Um, that's, that's where it came from. That's what it takes, man. And eventually I did exactly what you said. I, I said, screw this. I can't travel like this anymore. Yeah. The opportunities were trying, kind of drying up, you know, like Oilville does. You know, there was another down cycle. And, and I kind of knew at the time, I, like, I really needed to get a degree. Okay. So again, the kind of the wheels of life started to turn. I got an opportunity to sort of be the IT guy for a, an independent upstream called Valco Energy. Yeah. And that all their assets were in West Africa. And, you know, they, they really had a unique challenge with a, being the only independent operating, independent American company operating in West Africa. Hmm. Um, they needed to really leverage technology and their expertise in Houston to operate their wells offshore West Africa. Of course. And again, it was a story of a small group of people accomplishing, you know, a lot of things. And I became kind of the tech guy there. So back then there was really no distinction between you know, what we might call OT or ICS or, you know, these IT disciplines specifically focus on operations. It was just all IT. Yeah. And I, and all that was kind of under my umbrella at Valco. Good for you, so man. It was a great pressure cooker slash learning opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I think 2007 and years kind of blur, but 2007 Valco is the fastest growing company in America. No kidding. Yeah, I think Red Bull is number two. At <laughs> yeah. So, and you it, were able it, to ride that wave and yeah, grow. Yeah. Rode that wave. Socks. You know, Sarbanes-Oxley Act, yeah. which was Financial Reporting Act. That kind of came out under my tenure there. Nobody oh, wow. knew how to handle that. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty and fear around that. So it was a great way to sort of build my 
IT and maturity and business chops, you know, no around kidding. sort of this, the skills that I gathered in the field. Yeah. No and I also went back to school at that time. Okay. Yeah, for nice more, like, what'd you go back to school for? So I got a degree in what's called management information systems. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. you know, I was a night school guy, worked, worked during the day, went to school at night. Damn. Well, there's one thing, sort of the pattern I'm seeing is you, you like to <laughs> hustle your ass off, man, which, you know, good for you. That's what it takes. You know, a lot of people see what, you know, people, the sort of the glamour that happens overnight, but most of those people that do the overnight success have been grinding their asses off for the last 10 or 12 years. So, you know, which kind of gets you to where you're at today. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're at now and, and kind of outline, you know, yeah, tell us where you're at now and then we'll dive into a few of the questions that I had for you. Sure. So nowadays I have a very tailored focus on IT cybersecurity for industrial applications. Okay. So, you know, let me ask a question before I, I guess I explain this. Um, yeah. So if I tell you to picture in your head something like, what do you picture when I say IT? Wires <laughs> and computers. <laughs> yeah, that's what most people say, like Wi-Fi or email yeah. or, or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, what if I told you that there are IT systems within oil and gas assets you know, across the value chain that have nothing to do with Wi-Fi or email that, you know, are critical to oil and gas operations, to maintaining and operating, you know, mechanical operations. Yeah, I mean, uh, that makes sense to me. And and again, we, you know, first picture comes to mind, but it's kind of knowing what I know now, that field spreads so far into like everything that we do. And without the proper IT or without the proper infrastructure to support a lot of what we're doing, we would still be in the stone age. So it's interesting, kind of the perspective in that question you ask, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there there are IT systems that are critical to oil and gas operations. So what I do now is really focusing on those systems. I don't, I don't do email, I don't do Wi-Fi, I don't do... Yeah. You, know, you don't try and the help traditional. the CEO turn his computer on and off? <laughs> no, no. If someone asked me, I would, but... Yeah, uh, yeah. But no, no, we're really, the, the practice area I work work within really focuses on those systems that run critical operations. Cool. And making sure those systems are efficient and reliable. Gotcha. Is that something that was always interesting to you? Or was that something that you felt there was a, there was a need for and you had the skill set to be able to come in and provide solutions? Yeah, it's the latter. That has been a gap within this industry for a long, long time, you hmm. know, kind of throughout the PC revolution. Right. Um, are you seeing, is there, obviously there's a demand for it, but are people actively putting money and energy into that? Or is it kind of a, we only use it or we only invest capital when shit's hit the fan? Like, is it kind of a proactive approach or are people realizing the value and getting ahead of it before something happens? It's a little bit of both. I would love to sit here and say that, you know, oil and gas operators have seen the light and understand that this is critical to, to their business objectives. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it does take an incident. Sometimes it does take a moment of, you know, when things don't go as planned to realize, oh, we got to start investing in these things. And these things are critical. Yeah. Um, there are a couple standout companies that are ahead of the curve and are proactively making sure this, this, these things are in order and, you know, that, that they've really mitigated these risks. But, but many companies are still you know, just relying on the systems that have been doing what they've been doing for decades. Yeah. And, you know, that stuff's aging out and that stuff isn't reliable and that it's now a risk for what sure. they do. So is this stuff constantly evolving daily? Like, is it kind of like my iPhone where I have to get a new one every six months? Or how, I mean, is it something that you put a system in place, you're good for a few years, or is it just exponentially 
kind of evolving? No, that's a great question. I mean, one of the personal frustrations I have felt just having been in this space for such a long time and kind of had this battle with many different operators, you can take a very simple oil and gas system, you know, like a gathering system or something like that that you Mm -hmm. find in the pipeline. Mechanically, it'll be stood up immaculately with redundancies and you know, bypasses and all the best practices, you know, that it takes to, you know, operate that asset without downtime and cost effectively. So mechanically, this industry is so good at building those systems. Yeah. But they'll turn around and grab an off the shelf computer, put it in the middle of that system, use it to operate that system, but don't take into consideration the maintenance of it. Don't take into consideration the redundancy of it the security of it, you know, if we applied the same disciplines that we have mechanically in this industry, you know, with SOPs and preventative mm. maintenance, you know, all those things that makes oil and gas the, you know, the world's most powerful industry, if we just did that with kind of the digital components mm. and specifically the ones that look like IT components, yeah, we wouldn't be in this mess. Sure. A lot of the history that, that got us kind of to, to where we are today with, you know, such a focus on on making sure these risks are mitigated is just a history of, I don't know, applying some magic to IT equipment that doesn't exist, thinking you can just stand it up and it'll run. Right, right. You, you got to maintain this stuff. No kidding. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you face when, you know, approaching different folks or if you see an opportunity to provide service or an opportunity to do business with someone, what's the biggest challenges or what's the biggest resistance that you're facing now with with trying to implement some of this stuff? Yeah, a lot of it's culture and people. Okay. Um, it's far less to do with technology than it is culture and people. Yeah. Just provide a little bit more of a technical answer. It's not uncommon to you know, go into a refinery or, you know, an oil and gas asset, you know, across the onshore space and see systems that everyone knows, you know, there's kind of a don't touch it rule. It's working. Don't touch it. Yeah. Because there's, there's no plans for what happens when it goes down. Mm-hmm. There's no plans for how we operate if we take it offline. And, and those situations are particularly tough because, Everything we have from a data perspective tells us, you know, this stuff isn't reliable. It's going to fail. It's out of support. You know, the list will go on for reasons that you need to upgrade these systems. Yeah. But operationally, it's too costly and Mm. there's too many unknowns interjected when you do take it offline. Gotcha. There's a lot of resistance from just kind of a risk mitigation standpoint. I gotcha. So with regards to cybersecurity, like when I think cybersecurity, I think of you know, hacking, people getting into my email, yeah. but give the sort of the, the listeners a general scope of, of like what risks are out there and why having security around this stuff is so important. And, and what, what's the effect? Like if you don't have it, what could potentially happen? Like, can you shine some light on top of that? Yeah, that's a bit, that's a big question. I think within, within oil and gas, this is far less about hackers and, you know, a lot of the, the buzzwords you see behind cybersecurity in the corporate world. Okay. What we're talking about within the oil and gas space is cybersecurity for the sake of reliability. Ah. Reliability and safety. Sure. You know, at the end of the day, if if you're doing this stuff right, it should all be about maintaining the process. Whatever whatever that entity's process is, it's excellence of that process. Interesting. So those systems, you know, the only reason we care about cybersecurity is because it's an element of reliability. You know, your, your stuff's not reliable if it's infected or compromised. Of course. So, the, yeah, the, the effort within 
you know, what we would call the ICS, the industrial control system or the OT space is it's all about reliability of that mechanical process. Interesting. Okay. I honestly had, would have never thought that. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad because I'm sure everyone out there is like, oh, that makes sense. You know, I just didn't want someone to hack my work email. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's part of, you know, maybe if I don't accomplish anything else on this talk today, that's really the connective tissue I want to provide is that getting your IT systems that are critical to your operations, getting that stuff stable and secure and redundant that is every bit as critical to your mechanical operations as making sure your valves are in working order, making sure your meters are in working order. You know, it's part of that ecosystem mm-hmm. that is the operational ecosystem. Yeah. So, so we got to start treating it the same way and with a, with a high level of discipline. Very cool. Wow. That's interesting, man. I'm learning a lot. So this is good. Uh, so like what kind of advancements have you seen just in technology throughout cybersecurity over the last few years? Because now that everything is going, you know, again, more digital, more internet based, more cloud based. I'm imagining that the demand for stuff like what we're talking about becomes even more and more important. So are, is technology on that side of it also advancing? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, where we are today is so refreshing from where we were just, you know, five, six, seven years ago. No kidding. Uh, I mean, the evolution has been has been really robust and really positive. So we have a lot of tools that are tailored for this operational space. One of the problems historically has always been when you try to take some IT security tool, you know, take antivirus for an example. Yeah. And apply it to you know, a control system or a DCS system or any system that operations uses to operate their mechanical process, you try to apply antivirus to that in our example here, you can shut that down. You know, it's not designed for the unique flavors that software in kind of the operations space kind of requires. And so what we're seeing today is a lot of purpose-built tools for this niche, for operational equipment, for operational software, okay. major vendors, you know, like Emerson, Honeywell, you yeah, know, they they are clued into this, and they're really starting to design security as part of their technology. Okay, if I may, one of one of the things that makes this difficult, or one of the pain points I hear a lot, you know, take a measurement guy or a GC guy, you know, someone who just needs to get access to their equipment and you know make sure that their stuff's working. They complain a lot about the inefficiencies that cybersecurity brings. Mm-hmm. You know, when they used to just be able to get on their computer, log into their equipment, download their reports, yeah. and be done for the day. Now they have several passwords or maybe a couple servers they got to jump through or a token. Yeah. And all these things, they're like, you know, this is, this is a real pain in the ass. You know, why is it I can deposit a check with my phone using one button, no shit. Yeah. but you know, just to get onto my flow computer, I got to hop through three machines and no two <laughs> passwords. Yeah. And unfortunately the answer is because unlike that checking app, security is not built in from the ground up. Okay. You know, a lot of what we're doing right now in ICS security is kind of building rings around it's like patchwork. You're just kind of patching bolt on. Yeah. 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 You take a lot of the instrumentation that is critical in a process. Some of the stuff I just mentioned, you know, like a flow computer or a PLC, mm-hmm. you know, the, what we would call the level one or level zero instrumentation, that stuff was designed before cybersecurity was a thing. 
Huh. You know, a lot of those systems are built without any security considerations. Okay. No so a lot of what we're doing now is just kind of walling all that stuff off. Yeah. Building a moat around it so that only the most critical, you know, only things that have been highly vetted get in and out of, of those networks and, you know, they can just kind of do their thing. Yeah. The next evolution is really when security starts getting integrated from the design perspective, from the ground up in those instruments and you'll see security then kind of linked together in a way we're accustomed to with like things like on your phone and like oh, a face ID. I really look forward to that because yeah, there's, there's so much, I feel like anytime, like even just my experience with working, it's like you need 18 different passwords for this. <laughs> you have to, there's different platforms that don't talk. So then you need to, it, it just seems like a lot of time wasted. And until you create systems that talk to each other that are kind of like, I guess, maybe centralized, I don't know, but I could see there being a lot of room for improvement. And I guess with that, the, the amount of talent and people coming into that space, the demand is also going to increase. So do you see a lot of folks, younger generation going to school? Is this an attractive career for a lot of people? Or are you finding the talent pool is, is tough to come by? Or can you speak on that? I can give you my perspective on it. So I think oil and gas as a whole, kind of like Mark LaCour says, you know, we need to do a lot better job on the PR side of this business. <laughs> Big time, yeah. Yeah, I don't think oil and gas is doing enough to be transparent and modern and mm -hmm. less stereotypical. Yeah, Those are the things that are, are probably barriers to attracting top talent into this space. Yeah, um, you look at like people, okay, 18-year-old Joey coming out of high school want to go work for Google or go work for... I don't know, Shell, like whatever, who cares? But like it's nine out of 10 times or so, I want to go to California and work for Google. Like yeah. it's in the amount of stuff that they do, commercials, they make it attractive to the younger and up and coming generation. So like all the talent is going towards that and, and from kind of what I see. So, and even on the technical side in oil and gas, I think that's going to be a big challenge over the next decade is, is seeing, you know, we're kind of getting second string talent unless, you know, kid's dad's a petroleum engineer and he's just wants to be nothing but a petroleum engineer and go to A&M or LSU or whatever college around here yeah. and, and do that. But anyway, so that, that's kind of interesting to me, kind of what you're saying, because I, I tend to agree. Yeah. And I, I don't think we're doing a good job from the opposite end. There's a lot of a lot of talent that exists in our industry. We're not leveraging enough. Mm. And you hear a lot about the old guys in the industry. Yeah. And you got to remember before before technology was a competitive advantage for a lot of oil and gas companies, a competitive advantage in the past was having one or two guys that knew the entire system. Yeah. You know, they could work on, you know, pumps and valves and they could put in HMIs and, you know, work on PLCs and, you know, they could do everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fast forward, now that's kind of looked at as more of a negative and, you know, we really don't want to have like a reliance on one or two people that know everything and kind of have the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. We're not doing a very good job of tapping into those folks, knowledge sharing and, you know, getting people with a more modern skill set from a technology perspective linked up with people who, who know their operations, know how they work, know the characteristics, know the like real processes and procedures for maintaining those systems yeah. um, effectively because there there are some amazing people within this within this industry that have done amazing things and have you know really historical knowledge that isn't written anywhere it's not recorded you know i think we're missing tapping into those people yeah um, with with you know and building up a hybrid skill set that's really going to be required for kind of 
industry 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really like your perspective on that. And I think it's just, like you said it earlier, culture, I think it's just going to, and what I've seen in my, you know, since 2004 until now, kind of what I've seen is people are so worried about giving up information because they're worried that someone's going to take their jobs. And so it's like, you kind of have to let that aside and, and really tap into other people's experience and be willing to share and grow as a company. And then there's one, you know, there's a lot of our companies are so tight-lipped about not sharing anything and so it's like everyone's like independently in a silo trying to like do the best they can but their neighbor drilling or you know operating you know two miles down the road is doing something extremely different well the rock is not that much different but you're not sharing your lessons learned and then it's like well i want the competitive advantage well if we all grow and we all you know compete with one another everyone can still succeed and so it's it's interesting you say that that right there is I think that's one of the biggest challenges within this industry. Mm-hmm. So what, what you're describing is kind of the classic just commodity, you know, attitude. Yeah. You know, a commodity company where, you know, they're trying to make maximize profits while things are up, survive downturns. That's why culture within oil and gas is a really tough one because for so long, I mean, oil and gas was mostly contractors. It's pretty modern that you build up workforces of actual employees. And that's kind of an IRS thing that's kind of forced that. Cool. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Culture didn't exist. It was really more about building a team, maximizing profits while things are up and surviving downturns. Yeah. And, you know, now we're faced with just a lot of outside forces that that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, just data alone is going to change how oil and gas companies have to respond to things. Yeah. And it already is. So one question I wanted to ask with regards to that sort of stuff is do things like AI, big data analytics and automation play a role within this security type space? I mean, because it, it does everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say in a, in a very small way, it does. Where I see ICS security, OT security right now is much more focused on getting the basics right. Mm-hmm. You know, security right now is a prerequisite to doing things like big data, to doing things like AI, to doing oh, things like okay. automation correctly in the future. Makes sense. Building the fundamental platform. Getting your foundation you can, correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I, I think, you know, when, when people, when asset owners skip that step and go directly to, you know, high levels of automation, it leaves a big gap. Cybersecurity, it's part of your plumbing, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I was talking about earlier, it's got to be built in from the ground up. And then things like automation, AI, big data become a lot more feasible and, you know, aren't going to introduce risks. Gotcha. That makes sense. So what do you offer? So, I mean, we didn't even talk about who you work for, or what you do, <laughs> but give a little bit of scope of, you know, obviously you've got a lot of experience. You've worked all over the world. A lot of knowledge. What, what do you actually do on a day-to-day basis here? <laughs> Who do you work for? Let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that before yeah, we close thanks. out. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. So I work for NTT Security. And okay. NTT Security is an example of one of the outside players coming in to disrupt the space. Okay. Um, NTT Security is not well known here in North America, but they're very much the world's leader in secure operations and secure managed services. So for your corporate IT they're the type of company you would turn to to make sure you're keeping corporate entities safe from all those cybersecurity threats that you know we know like hackers and spam and malware all mm-hmm. that stuff ntt has started up a practice area really focused on this industrial niche cool because you know they can see the writing on the wall like many companies that these two worlds are converging you know the oil and gas company of the future is going to need to leverage the data that exists within the operation space 
to be competitive. Gotcha. And yeah, they so so they're taking all that knowledge and expertise that you find within their corporate IT managed security services and really building up a practice for industrial customers focused on their needs and you know really addressing them in a very cottage way. Okay, cool. What we'll do, and we'll make sure I'll put the link in the show notes for your contact information, the website and stuff like that. That way, if anyone's right. interested, is there anything anywhere else that people can reach out to you or hit you up at if they have any questions regarding this stuff? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. You can just search for Derek Stubbs and feel free to reach out to me there. You know, uh, I'm very passionate about cybersecurity for industrial customers. This is the niche I've been in all my life. Cool. Um, well, if yeah, anyone out there talking has, about it, so yeah, I happy mean, if, to discuss it with anyone who reaches out to me. Perfect. No, and that's what we need is just someone volunteeringly to help share information and, and help guide people if they have any questions. So yeah, we'll make sure you, we put the link in the show notes. So a few questions before we close out here, more on the personal side of thing. So, you know, do you have any daily habits or routines that help keep you focused and motivated? I mean, I'm assuming this is a, you know, 24 hour a day type of deal, you know, and you said it, you're passionate about it, but is there anything else that kind of helps keep you motivated to solving these problems? And yeah. So, you know, when, when I look at sort of the work and, you know, when there's, when there's more work than there is time, one of the things I've kind of personally found a lot of value from is working in spurts. Mm. So, you know, tackling things in smaller chunks. And, you know, I think, I can't remember who says it, but, you know, you should try to strive to work more like a lion than zebra or something. Okay. There, there's, there's an expression out there. Sure. I'm sure uh, if you Google it, it'll be there. <laughs> Maybe I'll Google it and put it in the show notes because I, yeah, I like the, nuggets like that. The gist is, yeah, I mean, tackle things very aggressively, very focused in small chunks and mm. rest in between. And, uh, okay. you know, I think in the aggregate, you find you get more done that way. Cool. No, I like that. What's something about yourself that not many people knowing, not many people know about? You got any good secrets or any <laughs> unique hobbies or anything you'd like to unleash to the podcast world? Oh, man. No. I mean, one, one of the things about me personally, I'm dyslexic. Okay. So, you know, I kind of grew up before there was a time when that was a, a real known tested thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the way I learned was always different than most people. Cool. So one of the things, you know, maybe I can kind of share in that spirit yeah. is, you know, self-awareness, learn how you like to learn things, yep. you know, understand like the way you digest information and what's most effective with you and, you know, share that with the people you work with. And, you know, like me, I can't read something and digest it. Okay. You know, I have to break it down in a whole different way. And, you know, if there's pictures, I'm doing a lot better. Yeah. So yeah, just self-awareness, understanding how I have to learn things. And then, you know, just making sure that I'm doing that with, you know, everything I can and sharing that. And yeah, I found it to be pretty effective. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, that's pretty common. I've worked with folks that are dyslexic and, and, you know, it's, it's, I found the people that are, you know, they manage it, but they're very creative or the way they approach things and their perspective and, and how they do things they do things better than a lot of other folks. So it's, I mean, you know, I would imagine growing up and you maybe being like, oh, you know, I, it's hopefully you didn't see it as a negative to where it like affected you, but more so use it to empower you and differentiate yourself. And like you said, becoming mindful of of how you can maximize the way you learn and using that to your advantage. I mean, did you struggle through school or was there any, you know, I mean, because back in the day, I'm sure it was like, oh, just figure it out. <laughs> Did you kind of, can you speak a little bit on that? Yeah, and how yeah. you evolved into being? My mom tells me I, I really couldn't read till I was like 12. Okay. So it really slowed down just like me getting the basics right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was frustrating because I didn't know, 
I didn't know why I wasn't learning things. Sure. And yeah, so it took a while to really get to where I could understand that it wasn't, I couldn't learn it. It was, I just needed to learn it differently. Right. Like the general school system wasn't, you know, prepared to have, to be able to, you know, maybe change the way they're, because they have a system and it's, you know, pretty binary. It's like you read and you learn and you apply concepts, but it's just like, obviously not everyone's like that. And there's probably more people that aren't like that than we would even like beg to think about. So, and I'm so grateful I grew up in the computer era because it really obscures a lot of the problems. Like if I had to write you something with my handwriting, Probably, you probably wouldn't be able to read it and half the shit wouldn't be spelled right. My dad is like that. No, (laughs) my dad, like he would, he would like, he was a numbers guy. Like he could always math in his head. He could write out numbers. But if if he had to write it, which he didn't really email much because he was, he had passed a few years ago, but he was in his 70, I forget what it was. But anyway, yeah, I remember him writing things and he would, he would even spell, you know, my name wrong or, you know, even just a little note to my mom or something like that before we had, you know, text messaging Mm. and thing like that, like. Yeah, he, he was all over the place. And I remember he wanted me when computers and once he got his first laptop, he wanted so bad to be able to email, but yeah. he just for the life of him, he just could not spell. But he was so intelligent in so many other ways that like, I was like, dad, who gives a crap about your spelling? Just just <laughs> put shit on there and, and I'll figure out how to read it. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. But anyway, no, that's interesting. I appreciate you sharing that, man. Oh, yeah, Hopefully really. someone out there can identify and realize, hey, it don't matter whether you're dyslexic or whatever the shit. I mean, you just persevere, you hustle your ass off. It's just, it's funny how lucky you get if you just put the effort in. Yeah. Yeah. And technology is a great equalizer. Kind of puts everyone on an equal playing field. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I, this is just a super exciting time. And I know, you know, to the oil and gas people, you know, that are, that are really kind of apprehensive about, you know, a lot of the talk around technology and a lot of the threats from technology, any disruption feels weird and look strange when it happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a paradigm shift. Think of anything like online shopping before that was, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was the super, that was the weirdest thing in the world, buying things online or even yeah. like, like email, you know, sending your correspondences over electronic mail. It had to have been super weird. We're just, we're going through another disruption right now and it looks and feels weird, but in hindsight, it'll make a lot of sense. Yeah. So awesome, man. You know, people that come from an operations background just don't you got to lean into it and then you know i it, it feels threatening but it, it it's not it's this is just a natural change that you know has to occur to stay competitive awesome well i appreciate that i'm excited to see what the future holds and before we log off here i'd like to take a few moments to tell everyone about our upcoming events hey guys alex here with the events on deck for december We'll be having two OGGN happy hours to kick off 2020. One will be in January in Houston. We have not announced the date yet, but we'll get back with you guys soon on that. And we will be having our first happy hour in Pittsburgh in February 2020, also with the date coming soon. So stay tuned on those. Upcoming events include the Bells of Houston, a masquerade, unmasking the stigma of PTSD. This will take place on December 5th in Houston. The Latin America Oil and Gas Summit is December 5th and 6th in Uruguay. The API Energy Houston Chapter General Meeting will be held on December 11th, 2019 in Houston. The Wildcatters Ball is taking place on February 7th, 2020 in Houston. And lastly, the IPAA Leaders Industry Luncheon will be held on December 11th in Houston. That's all the events for this month, guys. Be sure to tune in at the beginning of January to see what's happening then. 
Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Wet crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. If you're looking to get in shape over the winter, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Awesome. Derek, thanks again for coming on to the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll put your contact information in the show notes. And if anyone out there has any questions, please hit him up. Obviously, he's got a bank of knowledge and, you know, your passion, you can hear it through your voice, man. <laughs> I, hopefully, I mean, it sounds like you're doing some great things, so I wish you nothing but the best. Like um, thanks again for joining me. And everyone out there, always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil and Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. Global Network.